Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, some of you are freaking out about Thanksgiving, aren't you? Because you haven't bought everything yet. Um, well, if I don't get a chance to say Happy Thanksgiving, I hope you guys do have a great one. Um, also, uh, today, right after this celebration, we're having First Steps with Chris. If you're new or you've just been connecting uh, with the JAR for the last couple of weeks, uh, we would uh, love to have the opportunity to meet you. I would uh, kind of share my story with you and uh, get to know your story a little bit better. Uh, lunch is going to be provided, so you just go right to the JAR Cafe where you got donuts, and they'll uh, move that to a lunchroom, and uh, we'll have lunch there. And then if uh, you have children, uh, they can stay up in JAR Kids. We have child care that's provided for them. And it'll be a great way for us to get to know each other and uh, to connect that way. And so uh, right after church, we'll be done by 1.15, so you will not miss much of the Colts game, okay? And uh, call someone who can DVR it for you, and you'll be good. Okay, I'd like to begin uh, with this thought uh, this morning. Sometimes I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor. I feel completely inadequate to be a pastor. Sometimes I think I doubt that God could use me. I doubt that he could use my gifts. I doubt that he could use my talents. Now, I just shared that with you. I got that off my chest. I just probably saved $100 in counseling fees because, you know, I was able to get that out. So you were my therapist for today. But I was thinking about my own feeling of inadequacy with being a pastor. And I started thinking also that there are other areas of my life that I feel inadequate as well. There are times in which I feel inadequate as a husband. I feel inadequate as a husband. I definitely feel inadequate as a golfer because I'm bad, like really bad. And I started thinking about it that if I look through my life, there probably hasn't been an area of my life that I haven't felt some inadequacy at some point, I've felt insecure and I've had doubts in many areas. And the biggest one I often think of is I, I doubt that God could use me in this. I, I just doubt that that is too big for me to be used. Now, from the outside, I know that it looks like I have it all together, especially with this buff body that stands before you. But. You know, on the outside, it looks like, oh, well, it looks good. I mean, you're pastoring a growing church, and, you know, there are lives that are being changed, and you've got a, a great wife, and you have wonderful kids. In fact, people will come up to me after the celebration. They'll be like, oh, man, that message, it, it was so powerful. Or, you know, your leadership, or you're a great parent, or, you know, you're a great husband. But what people don't realize is when they're saying things, that often I'm like a scared little boy during the week just hoping that I can make it through Sunday, if all truth were known. I'm not an intellectual giant. There are pastors in this community that are much more intelligent. They understand the Bible better. They're better with theology and church history. They know more than me. I often say stupid things. Probably don't have to tell that to you, you know, too much. You get that. And to top it all off, there are many times that I don't feel like 
My relationship with God is, is that close. I look at other pastors that I know or people that I know, and it seems like their relationship is a lot closer than mine. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I meet with God daily, and I want to know Him more, but sometimes that's a hard thing for me. And so often, what I'll do is I'll compare myself to somebody else, and then I'll think, well, I doubt God could use me like God is using them. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt that I don't know if God could use me? Maybe you would say, I know that God can use other people. I'm just not sure He could use me. I know He can use people like Rick Warren and Joel Olstein and Joyce Meyer and Beth Moore, but I'm not so sure that God can use me. Maybe you have some thoughts or you have doubts like, I'm just not good enough. Or, I don't know enough about the Bible. Or, I'm not strong enough to understand what Christ wants me to do. I'm not mature enough. I'm messed up too much. I don't have great talents. I still do some things in my life that I question. I still have guinea pigs. So I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, there's all sorts of reasons in your mind and my mind that we could doubt that God would ever use us in a big way. Now, for those of you who feel like that, maybe you're like me, I want to share with you a passage of Scripture this morning that I think could help flip that perspective. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. And it says this. For we are God's... What's the next word? What is it? That's right. So let's say this whole phrase together, out loud together. For we are God's masterpiece. Folks, that's who you are. You are a masterpiece of God. That's who you are. You are a Monet. You are a Picasso. You are a Rembrandt. You are one of a kind. Now, for some of you, we're glad that God only created one, okay? But that's who you are. You are God's masterpiece, it says. And then it goes on to say, And He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Folks, you were created in the image of God to do good things for God. And he decided that long before you were ever born. I mean, regardless of the circumstances of your birth, regardless of who your parents were, even if your parents left you and they had nothing to do with you, regardless of what that happened when you were born, God made you in such a way to love you and he created you to do good things, to use your passions, your gifts, to honor him and to make a difference in this world. Because you are God's masterpiece. In fact, what I'd like to do right now is for you to turn to the person beside you. So look to the person beside you, smile, don't bite them, okay? And just look at them and say, you are God's masterpiece, okay? Go ahead.
Now, here's the problem with this whole thing. Is that you can say it, but do you believe it? Because the moment that you start believing that you are God's masterpiece and that maybe he could use you, as you start going down that road, your spiritual enemy will plant seeds of doubt in your head to try to pull you back. Doubts like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'll just mess up. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three biblical thoughts that you can memorize so that when those other doubts come in your mind, you'll have some ammunition to combat it. And these thoughts come from a particular question. Here's the question. Who does God most often use? When it comes to you and to me and to most people, who does God most often use? And I think there are three types of people that God most often uses. And this is your first fill-in, or you can do it on your app, and this is the first one. God uses the insecure. God uses the insecure. Now, in a moment of honesty, being as honest as you can, how many of you would say, yeah, you know what? I have some insecurities in my life. Just raise your hand, okay? That's much, much better. Now, put your hands down. Anyone who did not raise their hand, what do we call them? That's right. You're a liar. Because the reality is, some people are here for the first time. They're like, dude, he just called me a liar. No, I didn't. These other people did, okay? So say the pastor was good. The people called me a liar. Folks, the reality is all of us have insecurities. And so if you are an insecure person, congratulations. You are a perfect candidate for God to use. In the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, there's a guy by the name of Moses. And Moses had a lot of insecurities. God calls Moses to deliver his people out of slavery. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. Every generation, nothing but being a slave to the man, to Pharaoh. And he says, I want you to take my people from Egypt out of slavery into a land that I promise. And immediately, Moses reveals his insecurity. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, God calls him to set the people free, and this is how Moses responds. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I am not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled up. In other words, God, I'm not your best man. God, I want you to know that when I stand in front of people and I have to speak out loud, I freak out. I can't do it. I'm not a good public speaker. I say the wrong things. I put my foot in my mouth. I stutter. I am not the right person. Folks, God wants to use you. And whenever you take a step in the direction of being used by God, the resume of failure comes to you immediately and says, no, 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 no. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're just not enough. Some of you might say, well, I'm too old. I can't connect with young people anymore. I'm too old. Or some of you might say, I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. I can't make a difference. You know, I mean, I'm not a great musician. I'm not a 
great speaker. I mean, I don't have any skills. When I first started pastoring, I had taken one Bible class in my life. And the only reason I took that class is because the school required me to take one Bible class. I didn't want to take it, but I had to take it. And after a period of time of not finding a job, I thought, well, I need to do something. And my parents were like, yeah, you do because you need to leave. (laughs) And my dad said, well, I think you could be a youth pastor. You can't mess them up very much. Little did he know. And so I actually became a pastor of a very small little country church. And they were desperate. And they picked me. And I'll never forget, November 1st, 1993, standing behind this big pastor's desk that for 80 years, pastors had sat behind and had written sermons and had planned things and led meetings and prayed to God and they were intelligent and smart and wise and great communicators. And now I was sitting there. And I was none of those things. I mean, people were planning on me to say something that Sunday and I had no clue what I was going to say. So I opened the Bible and I looked at this book called Job. And I thought to myself, I got the wrong job. That's my problem. I have the wrong job. And then I learned you don't pronounce it Job, you pronounce it Job. And I thought if I can't even read the book of the Bible right, how in the world am I going to do anything else? And I felt extremely insecure. But this is the honest truth. 23 23 years later, after standing in front of many people, I still get nervous every single time I'm on a stage. This morning when I was planning for the teaching, I was so nervous about, am I going to be able to relay this in the right way? How could I say it? Will people get what I'm trying to talk about when I let them know that they are God's masterpiece. Because often, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. Now the good thing is, I don't throw up anymore. That's really good for these people right here, that I don't do that. It's better for you than for me, okay? But I often feel insecure. And I have a feeling, many times, I don't have what it takes which actually means, this is what I've learned over time, when I have these feelings, what that actually means is that I'm a better candidate for God to actually use. And the truth is, it's the same for you. If you feel insecure, it's time for you to realize that even in your weaknesses, that's where God often uses His greatest strength. Because our weaknesses, often what they do is it's the greatest clue of where God wants to work in our lives. Because it's through our weaknesses and our insecurities that His strength is made perfect. 
And there's more room, folks. There's so much more room for him to work and to put your confidence in you for him to do that than for us to do it by ourselves. The reality is God wants to use people who are insecure because that's the only kind of people that come around. But there are a lot of masterpieces in this room that are insecure and that God has great plans in store for. Now back to Moses. After Moses says, hey, I'm not a good speaker, then he's like, I don't do very well speaking. Uh, I'm not a good speaker. And God's like, oh, that's true, but... Uh, The Lord looks at him anyways, and this is what God says. Who gave man his mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? That God said to him, now, and what's the next word? What's the next word? What is it? Go. Now go, and I will what? What's he say? I will will help you. Let's say that all out loud together in one voice. I will help you. One, two, three. I will help you. Yeah, that's what God says. God says, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses, first of all, you've got to what? Go. Go. You got to go. You have to step out in order to find out. You have to open up your mouth so I can fill it. You have to take a step of faith and believe that I will meet you there. And even though you may not believe in yourself, God says, I believe in you. I believe in you. I've gone to several uh, high school football games this past fall. And uh, the cheerleaders in the crowd have this uh, one particular uh, cheer that they do that I love. They go, I believe that we can win. I believe that we can win. I believe that we can win. And you know what your Father in Heaven is doing every single moment of every single day? I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. You can make a difference in this world. So, who are the types of people that God uses? Well, the first one is, we'll put it on the screen, Let's say it out loud together again. God uses the insecure. Secondly, God uses the unlikely. God uses the unlikely. God loves to use people that others overlook. Let me say that again. God loves to use people that others overlook. God loves to use those that others don't think they have what it takes. God loves to use the unlikely. Now, some of you here today are like my wife. You were the person who was most likely to succeed in high school. You got all A's. Maybe you were the head of the cheerleading team. Maybe you were the captain of the football team. When it came to SAT, you were pushing huge numbers. Maybe you were the valedictorian of your class. Now, this is what I want to say to all of you who had a lot of success throughout your life. God can still use you too. I promise he can. It's just that he specializes in using people 
who are very unlikely. He specializes in using people that others don't believe in. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in which Samuel, who was a prophet or a pastor, is told by God to go and to call the next king of Israel, the next king. He says, I want you to anoint him as king. And he goes to this guy by the name of Jesse. And when he comes to Jesse, Jesse knows what's going to happen. And he's so proud because he's like my oldest son. I knew the day was going to come where this was going to happen. He was a class president, the quarterback of the football team, one of the most outstanding CEOs in the country. And then he pulls up in this, Lexus baby. And he pulls up and he steps out of the car and he has this commanding presence. And he's the kind of guy who when he walks into a room, he just dominates it. You know, people like that, they're just so powerful. They walk into a room and they dominate. And Jesse turns to Samuel and says, this is my son, Iliad. You know what Iliad means in Hebrew? You to man. <laughs> Not really. I'm just joking. I made that up. Some of you are going to be like, he's a liar. He just, no, no, no. Okay. But that's what was going on here is Jesse says, here's my son Iliad. He to man. And then all of the community leaders, all of the people, you know, that are from the village, they're like, yeah, he to man. And Samuel even looks at him, how impressive he is. And he's like, he the man. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Then here are some of the most powerful words in the Old Testament. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by the outward appearance But the Lord looks at what? At the heart. You see, God looks at Iliad and he says, you not the man. You not the man. Do you understand this verse? God sees things in you that no one else sees. God sees things in you that no one else sees. God loves to use the unlikely. You know, some of the most favorite parts of the Bible for me in the New Testament is the choosing process that Jesus goes through in choosing his disciples, his best friends, his followers. If you read the Bible, what you find is who he does not choose, who he doesn't pick. Of all the people that he could choose to spread his message to the four corners of the world, he doesn't choose the most religious elite or the spiritual elite. 
Jesus didn't pick the best looking. He didn't pick the best talented. He didn't pick the best educated or the most likely to succeed. Jesus chose 12 ordinary, sinful, insecure, unlikely men to be his disciples. He chose a smelly fisherman, multiple of them a tax collector, an accountant, and a political activist. And most of them had reputations for wild living. And he's like, I don't just want men to be a part of my team. I want women to be a part of my team as well. And so he goes to these group of women who were the outcasts of society that no one else wanted anything to do with them. And he said, you are going to be used to change the world. Jesus' friends were the most unlikely people to become saints of the church. In other words, if you would have told them 2,000 years ago when Jesus chose them, you know, one day you're going to be in this Catholic church and there's going to be this statue of you made out of bronze and gold and people are going to be, oh, to St. Thomas. You know what they would have said? You're nuts. Me? Me? They were the partiers of their day, the cheaters, the liars, the ones who the religious crowd despised. He surrounded himself with the lowest, the poorest, the outcast. And you know what? That encourages me. So if you ever feel like me, or you've ever had other people say to you, you know what? You're just not smart enough. You're too sinful. You're too mistake prone. If you feel like you never quite measure up to your parents, to your kids, to your spouse, to your friends, to your family, to your co-workers, if you feel like you never quite measure up, if you feel like your good just isn't good enough, embrace this thought. God has chosen you to make a difference in this world. God has chosen you to make a difference in this world. Folks, God doesn't look at the things that everybody else looks at. He sees things that no one else sees. And God specializes in using the unlikely. Fourteen years ago, when I was starting to decide whether or not I was going to stay in uh, the denomination that I grew up in, which I love and I love the people there and so many of them built into my life, But when I decided whether I was going to do that or I was going to start a church, the reality is the denomination was not very supportive. And for the longest time, I just realized in the five years that I was there that I just didn't quite fit real well into their system. And so when I sensed God calling me to start a church, a different kind of church, a church that would break the mold... The denomination decided that they would send me to a couple of church planning conferences where you start churches, and they would send me there, and I would learn how to do it well. But when I came back and I said, well, this is all the assessments that I took, they're like, ah, we don't know. And I said, well, I think I'm going to start in Muncie, where the population was going down, the industry was going out, and the economy was getting killed. Almost to a T, all of them were kind of like, nah, we don't think you're it, and we don't think Muncie's it. You are sure to fail. Now, just think how confusing that was in my mind. 
Now, it doesn't take much to confuse me because there's not much in my mind, okay? But think of the confusion. On one side, I sensed in my spirit that God was saying, Chris, I want you to start this church. Chris, you can do it. Chris, trust me. Trust me. And on the other side was, you can't do it. It shouldn't be done. You're not qualified. Muncie is not the place to do this. Folks, stop believing what other people say about you. Stop it. You are not what others say. You are not the sum total of everyone else's opinion. You are who God says you are, and God says you are his what? Masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. You were created by God to be loved by him and for you to love him. With unique gifts, talents, for this moment in history. God has placed you in this moment of time to do something great for him and to use your gifts. And God says that he will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And even when things are going south, and God says that even when your spiritual enemy meant evil for you, God can take that and he can turn it around for good. Folks, stop believing what other people say about you. Start believing what God says about you because what God says about you is you are his masterpiece. God loves to use people who are often overlooked. So Samuel, the prophet, he comes to Jesse and Jesse's like, well, here's my son Eliab. He's like, he not the man. And then he goes through six more sons. Not the man, not the man, not the man. And so Jesse is standing there. He's like, I don't know what to do. And Samuel's standing there wondering, God, what are you having me to do? We just went through seven qualified people. Ivy League kind of graduate people. These are the best of the best. What is going on? And so Samuel asked Jesse, Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Now, if you think about that, that's a dumb question. Because if you ask someone that question, then the reality is they already know the, the answer. Yes, I have more. Do you ever forget your kids? Do you want to forget your kids sometimes? Forget them in a store. Forget them when they wake you up at 2 in the morning. If you have adult kids... Forget that they're still in your house and you're ready for them to go. And he asked him, he says, is this the only sons you have? And almost as an afterthought, listen, he doesn't even say his name. Jesse says, well, there is still the youngest. He's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. And at that point, you can even hear the doubt in Jesse. Jesse's like, uh, I got another one. I'm not going to tell you his name, but I doubt God could use him. And yet that guy, a guy by the name of David, became the greatest king of the Old Testament and became the great, 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 38 greats grandpa of Jesus Christ the Son of God, 
the second of the Trinity, who was there before anything was created. So, who does God most often use? Let's say these out loud together again. The first one, who, do, who does God most often use? God uses the insecure. Next, God uses the unlikely. And finally, here's the last one, God uses failures. God uses failures. Folks, if you've ever failed, I've got good news for you. You are a great candidate to be used by God. You know, maybe the most successful failure in the Bible, in the New Testament at least, is a guy by the name of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, and if you know anything about Peter, you know that he often put his foot in his mouth. He often had a way of running his mouth, and it got him into trouble. One day, Peter was bragging about how faithful he was to Jesus. He said, Jesus, now you see all these disciples that you picked, like, I'm telling you, they're a bunch of losers. But I, Jesus, I'm going to be with you no matter what. Everybody else is going to run away. They're not going to stick to your side. When the going gets tough, they're going to run away. But I, I will always stay with you. I'll never leave you. I've got your back. And when everyone else leaves, I'm going to be here for you. Well, Jesus saw right through this. And he knew what would really happen. And he said, Peter, dude, I've got some bad news for you. And the bad news is, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And at the end of the third time, you're going to hear a cock-a-doo-doo-doo. And a rooster's going to crow. And it will be the lowest moment of your life. But once you're that humbled and you're that broken, you're going to surrender everything to me finally, and then I'm going to use you for the greatest cause the world has ever known. And Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I don't know if you had bad fish today or something, but, you know, you're not thinking right. This is not the way that it's going down. I'm going to be with you. I got your back. I will never leave you. The rest of them will, but I won't. Well, one day a guy comes to Peter and he says, do you know Jesus? And in Luke chapter 2, verse 60, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. Just as he was speaking, the Bible says, the rooster, cock-a-doo-doo-doo, crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine what Peter must have been thinking at that moment? He had said, I'll never leave you, I'll never deny you, I'll never, never... And then he does. The scripture says, Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. I just failed the Lord. Now, I don't know 
for sure what was going through his mind. But I was thinking about it this week, and I thought this is what would go through my mind. I've just screwed up big time. Jesus called me the rock, and I am nothing but silly putty. He believed in me, and I let him down. I've destroyed that relationship. My credibility is blown. I'll never be called on again. I mean, if he has this unconditional love, I just sent it to the absolute limit. I've messed up. He will never trust me again. I've failed too big. Folks, if you failed, congratulations! You are the potential greatest candidate for God to use. You may be more broken and ready for God now than you ever have been in your past. You know, sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say, well, Chris, everything looks so good in your ministry. It just looks like, you know, nothing has ever failed in your ministry. But the reality is, folks, my ministry has been one thing. Failure after failure after failure after failure. When we first started the church, we met in homes. And then the church grew to a point where we had 25 people. And I thought, there's no way we can stay in a home. So we came to the YMCA. We went upstairs where the kids were. And for the first couple of months, everyone followed us. And then after about month three, we went from 25 to eight. Eight people. And I thought to myself, I am such a failure. The transition from homes to meeting here, I failed. When we first started uh, the jar, I, I had this great idea. We were going to take these inserts and put them in every newspaper, in, uh, that, every uh, newspaper of people who took the Star Press. So we made up this real creative thing. We spent thousands of dollars 39,000 little pieces of paper to go in the Sunday paper to say that the Jar Community Church was there. We had to take them ourselves down to the newspaper uh, place that put them together in Indianapolis. We spent thousands of dollars. 39,000 were put in there. Do you know how many people have ever come to the Jar due to a newspaper article or insert? Zero. Zilch, nada, nothing. And I blew it. I absolutely blew it, and I blew thousands of dollars. Well, guess what? You're going to blow it too. You're going to blow it too. You're going to flub up, mess up, and screw up in this thing called life. And some people might even say, I know, I do it all the time. My mouth gets me in trouble all the time when I speak. Really? I speak into a microphone and say stupid things all the time. Someone just called me out yesterday in a meeting, and they were so right about what I had said. Folks, we're all going to mess up. The reality is, though, some of you today, you're hurting bad. But you're showing a front like you got it together. And you're embarrassed by some of the things that happened in your past. Maybe something that happened last night, something that happened last week, something that happened last month, something that happened last year. But you're embarrassed. 
I know some of you have relational failure. You went through a very painful divorce or a breakup, and all of your friends and your family, they just turned their back on you. And if you're in that situation, this is what I want you to know, that, folks, God never turns his back on you. Everyone else will, but God never will. He never lets go. I know people who are embarrassed about their finances. Their finances are all out of whack, and from the outside it looks really good. But God will still use you. The truth is, folks, your area of weakness may just be the area of greatest strength that God can use for great things. I know people will come up to me and they're like, man, you you just don't know. You don't know about my past. In my past, there's some really dark, dark things. This is what I know, folks. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. And Peter denied Jesus three times while he watched. And sometimes when you fail, it's at that point of brokenness where you're most humbled before God that you finally get how to be dependent solely on him. And when that happens, folks, that's when God can use you the most. You know what's so humbling to me about Peter's story is that Jesus came back to him and he forgave him. And immediately he does perhaps what is the greatest accomplishment in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, outside of the resurrection itself. And that is he uses him to start this thing called the church that would absolutely turn the world upside down. The failure, Peter, stands up on Pentecost, which is just a word that means the birth of the church or the birthday of the church. And this is what he taught. Repent and be baptized. Some of you, in a couple of weeks, we're going to offer a baptism class. I'm teaching it. And I don't know what you're waiting for. You've made the decision It's time for you to take the plunge. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, why do you think he taught and preached forgiveness of sins? Because Peter had been forgiven this huge amount of sin from Jesus. And the Bible goes on to say, it goes on to say, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Imagine that. The biggest failure in the New Testament was turned around to start the church, to be a successful failure. Folks, God wants to use every single person in this place today. You may say, okay, uh, I think I'm ready. I want to do something big. But let me tell you right now, don't start there. Start small. And you'll be surprised that when you start with some small things, that you end up actually making the biggest difference. 
Because small things done with great love will change the world. And when you do those small things, this is what happens. You do small things long enough, really well, to honor God. And God promotes you to do big things. But you start with small things. One of the biggest ways that I think God used me was actually in a very small way. One particular Sunday, I was greeting people at the door and people were walking by and a woman came up and she said her name to me and many times I struggle to remember everyone's name anymore and I have a hard time doing that. I mean, heck, I have three women in my house and there are many times in which I call them by the wrong name. I'll be like, Shiloh, get down from there. Dad, it's Jordan. Or I'll be like, Jordan, come here right now. And she'll be like, "Uh, it's Shiloh. But then whenever I say, hey, you sweet thing, come right on over here. My wife knows I'm talking about her, you know. (laughs) But sometimes, folks, I have a hard time remembering names. But on that particular day, for some reason, I remembered this person's name. And three weeks went by. And I'm walking down the hallway this person walks by, and I go, hey, so-and-so, and I say their name. How's your day doing? And she stopped, and she looked, and she immediately started crying. And I was like, oh, no, I got the wrong name, you know? Like, that's the name of the stepsister she hates or something, you know? Like, ugh. And then she looked at me, and she said, I didn't think you knew my name. I didn't think anyone knew my name. I always thought I was invisible. Now, folks, what God did in that, he he took this small little thing of me remembering one person's name. And that person went on to accept Christ. And he did this one little thing just by remembering a name. And God used that to change the the eternity of this young woman. Today, some of you need to simply do something small. But if you do it, it might make a huge difference. Whatever God puts on your heart, you do it. You step out in faith, even when the doubt says, I doubt that God could use you. I doubt that God could use you. I doubt that he can use you. Now, for some of you, this stepping out in faith might be actually saying, you know what, I'm not going to sit on the sideline anymore. I'm actually going to get in the game and I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to volunteer here at the church. You, on our app, you can, it's real easy. You just click volunteer. Hey, this is what I want. Or you could go to the resource table. Maybe for others of you, it would be, hey, I'm finally going to get into a small group. That's my step. I'm going to take a step out, and I'm going to get in a group. And when you walk through the hallway, you can sign up for it today, or you can do it right on the app. For others of you, it might be giving financially to the church for the first time. You've always kind of been like, nah, nah, nah. But now you're like, well, maybe I should. And I'm telling you, if you do... God will bless your life. And for others of you, it might be reaching out to somebody. Christmas is a time where many people are desiring something. And it's up to you to reach out 
and invest in them. A neighbor, co-worker, friend, family member. Invite them to our series that we'll be doing for Christmas on the 4th. That they'll learn the love of the one who says, you're my masterpiece. Today, God wants to use every single person here. And the reason he does is because you're his masterpiece. He loves to use insecure people. He loves to use unlikely people. He loves to use people who have failed and somehow think that God can't use them because all of those types of people are his masterpiece. If you would, I'd like you to uh, pull out this little uh, tag that you received from your program. It looks like this. And if you didn't get one, just raise your hand and uh, one of our um, greeters will get that for you. So uh, just raise your hand and they'll bring some to you here real quick. Just leave it up till you get it. They'll get them to you real quickly. But it says, I am God's masterpiece. And we got it laminated. We put this cool little string on that you can actually put it around your mirror so it doesn't break. And I'd like you to put this on your rear view mirror. Or maybe you actually, you know, would put it above your kitchen window. Or maybe for some of you, it's like the refrigerator. Man, I'm there all the time, you know. Just wrap that thing around there. Go in there. Hey, I'm God's masterpiece. After I eat as much as I'm going to eat, I may not look good to somebody else, but I'm God's masterpiece, okay? But you just put this up, and you start to remind yourself who you are. That you are God's masterpiece. He loves to take his masterpiece and to use it for his honor and glory. And when you're tempted to believe, I doubt God could use me in this. I don't think God could use me this way. I don't think I have the gifts. Whatever the doubt is that you would remind yourself, I God's masterpiece. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. And what I'd like to do is just give you a moment of prayer for me to pray for you and for you to connect with God here for a moment. And today, maybe you're standing there and you're like, I I am an insecure person and I am unlikely and I have failed, but, but I think God could still use me. If you're sitting there and you're like, you know what, I think God could use me. I, I think he could. And you're ready to say to God, God, use me. I'd just like you to raise your hand. If you're ready, say, God, use me. I'm not perfect. I'm unlikely. But God, use me. Hands up everywhere. Look at that. Let's pray. You can put your hand down. 
God, thank you for each person who raised their hand. I pray right now that they would know that regardless of whether they're insecure or they feel unlikely or they have failed, that you want to use them, God. I thank you ahead of time, God, for what you're going to do to impact their lives. I thank you in advance of how it, they'll really commit to this and say, God, use me, that when they step out, they'll find out exactly what you want them to do. And so, God, I pray that you give them clear next steps and you give them the courage to say, use me, God. I am your masterpiece. Now, today, maybe there are some of you here that have been separated from God or you don't really know who God is or you've drifted away from God and today maybe you want the filth and the sin and everything from your past totally forgiven so that you can begin anew today and maybe you're just tired of doing this thing called life on your own you've tried to do it and you just can't do it anymore you need something greater than you something with more power something that will never let you go and so today's your day where you're like you know what that's me God, I want to give my life to you. I want to be used by you. I want to know that I am your masterpiece. I'm going to invite you into a prayer that you can pray after me. And I'm actually going to ask all of us to pray this out loud together. And I'll pray it, but I'll invite you to respond after me. And so let's pray this out loud. Loving God. I am sorry I sinned against you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I believe you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's uh, give a hand to everybody who said that for the first time. Welcome them to the kingdom of God. And uh, we want to give you a gift right now for you to have an outpouring of God's love on your life as we sing about how God loves you.